Someone has said that humans can go 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air. You got to really hold your breath for a long time to make it eight minutes. And one second without hope. Author Lewis Smead put it this way. He says, hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Lose hope and you die. They may not bury you for a while, but without hope, you are dead inside. The only way to face the future is to fly straight into it on the wings of hope. Hope is the energy of the soul. Hope is the power of tomorrow. Who could use a little more hope this morning? Anybody? I know I could. Let's pray. Awesome God, I thank you that yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory forever and ever. There is hope. There is joy. There is peace that comes from a relationship with you. And I pray this morning that each one of us will draw closer to you, whether we find ourselves doubting you, disbelieving, or pursuing you with reckless abandon and passion. Lord, we want to take one step closer today to knowing you and to knowing the hope that comes from you, the living hope that is alive, that is real. Guide my words in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hope is obviously our theme today as we wrap up 40 days of prayer. And I wonder what your definition of hope would be. I, I looked it up, I spent some time, and, and actually, hope's an interesting word because it can be used a number of different ways. It is a verb, and I can say, I hope that the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl next Sunday. And there's the door, all you fans. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I can hope that they, it's a verb, it's an action. I hope that they win the game. But we can also be full of hope. It's a noun. Hope is, a, is an object. It's, it's something that, that we can say, I am full of hope. The Greek word for hope used is elpis, and it means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence. You might say that hope, just like faith, the power of it lies not in the person hoping, but rather the object of hope. I can hope that this stool will hold me up, but I can hope all day long, and it's really up to the stool, not my hope, that it will hold me. And we'll just test this out. Oh, a failure right now would have been really, really disappointing. You can hope for anything, a new car, a perfect spouse, a wonderful job, 80 degrees and sunny today. <laughs> yeah, right. In the business world, it's been said that hope is not a strategy. As a company is going bankrupt, you know, they say, well, we hope we do better next month. You got to do better than that. You got to do more than just hope. You have to, to participate. You have to do something in that situation. So today we're finishing 40 days of prayer. And if you're a mathematician, you know today's not actually day 40. That comes on Thursday. And there is a very special event this Thursday. In your flyer, you'll see a QR code. And I would invite all of you to participate Thursday evening in a celebration at the end of these 40 days with churches all across the country. 
our Christian and Missionary Alliance family. We have churches from coast to coast that have been spending these 40 days in prayer, beginning this new year on our knees and doing life with Jesus. So we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer and the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we began week one on January 1. Prayer is worship. We worship and we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sacred and holy and special. There is none like our God. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship and our adoration. We must never take our God casually, but recognize that we talk to, we communicate with the, the, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, almighty God, creator of the universe. What an amazing thing. Jesus is not your homeboy. He is God. And God exists as one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can pray with and to and do life with all three. We pray to, the God, to God the Father in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Week two, we said that prayer is a kingdom partnership. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that God is establishing a kingdom, and followers of Jesus are dual citizens. We are citizens of this earth. We are citizens of the, most of us are citizens of the United States of America, and that's a great thing. But we're also citizens of God's kingdom, which is a greater thing. And it's a kingdom that will endure forever and ever and ever which is a really long time. In fact, I still can't quite grasp, grasp what forever is really all about. But we're praying that God's kingdom, which is being established, it's not fully established on earth, but it's being established. We pray for more of his kingdom to be established here on earth. We pray that God's that heaven comes and, and kisses earth, that we experience the power of God, the rule and reign of Jesus on this earth. And there are moments where that kingdom breaks through. There are moments where prophetic words are spoken, moments where bodies are healed, moments when, when we, we experience miracles and we experience peace and joy and transformation, when marriages are healed and, and, and brokenness is restored. Masterpieces coming into the process of healing and wholeness. Shalom. Probably the most common expression of prayer is prayer is petition. And Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us don't need to pray that prayer. We've got enough food in the freezer and the pantry to last us a month. But quoting Proverbs, there's something about being desperate for God. Desperate for our daily bread and praying and seeking out for what we need today. And maybe it may not be actual physical bread because perhaps you do have access to plenty of food. Actually, we all have access to plenty of food. Even those that find ourselves hungry in this community can walk a few blocks down to Cherry Street and get food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner 365 days a year. I'm so grateful for our, our partners down the street at Cherry Street and the amazing work that they do. Give us this day our daily bread. You may have physical bread, but Perhaps you need sustenance. You need hope for the day. You need peace for the day. You need meaning and purpose for the day. And it is very appropriate for us to ask God for things, to ask the Father for things. We are invited to do so. But family, let's not 
find that that's the only time we go to God in prayer is when he needs something. And we looked at prayer as confession. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a tough one, especially if you have someone to forgive. It's, as I said a couple weeks ago, it's easy to forgive when you don't have anyone to forgive. But when there's someone who's wronged you, someone that has hurt you, someone that has, has caused you to experience pain and trauma, it can be really difficult to forgive. But that doesn't change the message. It doesn't change the command. It doesn't change the reality that we've been forgiven so that we can extend that forgiveness to others even though they don't deserve it. We don't either. And then we looked at prayer as spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy and is doing a really, really good job. One of my frustrations about prayer is that we often make it just a list instead of a relationship. Jason did a great job a few weeks ago preaching about give us this day our daily bread. And we can do that. I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with asking God for things. But we don't want that to be the only time we go to God. Parents, those those of you that are, are parents, you know, particularly if you have older children, if the only time they call you or text you is because they need something, that relationship can really be strained. There's not joy in that relationship. You just become a human vending machine. And the question becomes every time the phone rings or the text comes is, what do you need now? It's not a really fun relationship at that point. It's not a good place to be if you're a parent. If you're a parent you know what I'm talking about, would you just nod? Okay. Some of you are students, your children. You're the, on the other end of the equation. I just want to say a thank you now and then. A mom, dad, thanks for being so kind and generous. I love you. What can I do for you? Goes a long ways. And some of your parents are like, I have no idea what you just described. We are to ask God for things. He's a good, good father who gives good gifts to his children. But there's so much more to a relationship with God, and this is what prayer is about. It's about a relationship. It's not just a, a, we're not talking about Santa Claus and a wish list. He wants a relationship with us, which includes all the dynamics spoken about in this. Prayer is not just talking to God. It's not just talking with God. I submit to you that prayer is doing life with God. It's a journey. It's a relationship. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, never stop praying. Never stop praying. How can we do that? If I close my eyes and I'm driving, what about when I'm sleeping? How can I pray when I'm asleep? How can I pray when I'm focusing on a project? If if prayer is something we simply do, then... We have to stop at times, but the command is to never stop praying, and I submit to you that then prayer is, it's really about a being. It's about us being in a relationship with God. You know, ever since I met my wife, Heather, I've been, well, I almost said I've been in a in marriage since I met her. Uh, we had a little dating time in there, four and a half years. But ever since, ever since we got married, we have this relationship, and the relationship is certainly expressed when we are together. 
when I hold her hand, when we take a walk, when we, when we, when we, when we converse, even when we're apart, we can FaceTime these days and we can text and, and that relationship can continue. But even when I'm away from Heather and I'm not engaging in any activity with her, we're still married. We still have a relationship. I still have a ring on my finger to let everyone else know that I'm committed to my wife. And so marriage is not something we do. It's really kind of a state of being. It's who we are. We are married. And I submit to you that prayer is like that, that that prayer is about a relationship. And there are moments where we talk. There are moments where we communicate, moments where we're focused on God. But then there's the rest of our time where we never stop praying because we're always in a relationship with God. We are his sons and daughters of the Most High God. And our identity comes not from who we think we are or who we want to be. Our identity comes first and foremost by being sons and daughters of the Most High God. Many of you have said these words. Christianity is not a religion. It's about a relationship And then we often turn around and make it all about religion. And if you do the right things, and if you try harder, and if you're a good person, then the Father will like you. And if you do all those bad things, he's going to be angry at you. He's going to be out to get you, and good luck. But the reality is his love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do that make the Father love you more than he already does. And praise God, there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you any less than he already does. Because that's just who he is. And that's just the relationship that he has with us. Those who have followed Jesus, who have trusted Christ, who have said yes to the, the death of Christ, yes to the resurrection of Christ, said no to our sin, repented, and turned away. And I think that we, we, so many Christians live with guilt and shame thinking that God's mad at them, God's angry at them. And the reality is, whatever he says about Jesus, he says about you. I know that's a, that's a mind-blowing statement. And we're going to unpack that later this year. We're going to do a series on the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is filled with the phrase over and over and over again. It says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And what that means is everything that the Father says about Christ, about Jesus, he says about you and I as followers of Jesus, as adopted sons and daughters into his family. It doesn't make sense. It's wild. It's extravagant. It's amazing, which is why it's called grace. By the way, just to be clear, my relationship with my wife, the marriage that we have, the ongoing 24-7, 365 state of being is a different relationship than I might have at a barista at Bigby where I go up and I say, I would like a chai. Would you please accept my cash? No, my credit card. I don't carry cash. But there's sort of a transaction You could say we have a relationship, but I don't really have a a relationship with the barista. I just give currency, and they give me a beverage, and end of story. So many followers of Jesus, and certainly those that don't follow Jesus, all God is is a transaction. God, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. God's like, it doesn't work that way. I'm God. 
I want to actually do a whole lot more for you than just a transaction, than just answer some prayer like a genie in the bottle. I want to do life with you. And by the way, every time that you pray to me, every time you get to that petition spot, I always say yes. I always respond to your prayers. It might not be the way you want it. It may not be in the timing that you want it. But I know what's best, and I will intervene. I will answer your prayers. All of your prayers are answered, family. Just not instantly yes. Some of you have been praying prayers for decades. Keep it up. Don't give up. Persevere. God hears you. He sees you. He knows you. And for reasons I probably can't explain, he hasn't yet done what you want when you want it. But he's a good, good father. He can be trusted. All right, so today we're talking about prayer as an expression of hope. Why is this an expression of hope? It's because God and his kingdom are forever. God and his kingdom are forever. You know, there aren't too many things in this world that, that we can say are forever that are permanent. Last week I was driving, Heather and I were driving through uh, my old, stomp, or st- old stomping grounds up in, in Ann Arbor. Actually, I was driving uh, up, up in Ann Arbor, and, and I drove by one of the most beautiful pieces of architecture on the planet Earth. It's called the Big House. Um, okay, we're not, we're not actually talking about about teams. It's, it's, it's a nice stadium, and so is that one down south. But there was something really interesting about the stadium, and any of you that, that know anything about the history of Michigan Stadium, it's changed over the years. In fact, when I drove by the, the giant uh, video screens that are, you know, as big as this wall, they were missing. Like, they were just totally gone. You could see the supports were there, but they were totally gone, and I thought, I thought, wow, Something's changing. Something's different. They must be installing new, I don't even know why they would install new video boards. The old ones were just so bright and clear, but maybe they're going from 4K to 8K or something. I don't know. But it's changing. I drive through the streets of Ann Arbor, and, and restaurants are, have changed. Buildings have changed. Everything in our world is changing. But God's kingdom, God and his kingdom, are forever See, with the world that's ever-changing, it's hard to trust. Some of you, you've been, you trusted a person, and they failed you. They burned you. They abandoned you. They betrayed you. Some of you have been deeply wounded by other humans that once you thought were going to always be there and faithful, and they changed. I want to say I'm really sorry. But God and his kingdom are forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God never changes, and this is a good thing. This is what gives us hope. This is what gives us peace and confidence and trust in God because the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is living alive today in you and in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is good news. No, that's great news. One of Jesus' best friends, Peter, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
We sang earlier about this living hope. We have hope in Jesus because he conquered sin. He conquered death. He is not just some weak little God. He is not someone, uh, just a, a figure in human history that's dead and buried. They haven't been able to find his body because he rose from the dead and his body's not on planet Earth. It's seated at the right hand of the Father this morning. And by the way, he's praying for you and for me. Is that good news? A living hope. Jesus died to give us hope, forgiveness, peace, reconciliation to our Heavenly Father. And then he rose from the dead, and that's real power, and that's real hope. When we hope in temporary things, we're always going to be disappointed. There's this thing called false hope. Paul said to his apprentice, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Have any of you put your wealth in the stock market? It's so uncertain. Some of your 401ks are 201ks right now. But, and there's nothing wrong with wealth, by the way. I want to make that clear. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. God wants his children to be wealthy, not so that they can bask in their wealth, but they can be generous and share. I love the, the man who said, the goal of every Christian should be to make as much money as possible and live off of as little as necessary. Conduits of blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing. So not to, be, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in but to put their hope in God, who, catch this, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's a good God. That's a really good God. Even in the midst of trials, we can have hope. In fact, it's through trials that we often encounter hope. Listen to these words from, from the book of Romans, Romans 5. These are radical words. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, which seems like a complete contradiction. Rejoice in trials in the same, rejoice in problems in the same sentence. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, when we go through trials and difficulties, and I've been through them, and you've been through them, and some of you are going through them right now, we, we, we begin to experience God's faithfulness. We experience his goodness. We see that he is faithful and can be trusted. Some of you have been sold this bill of goods that if you just pray this prayer, God's going to make everything easy for you. Actually, following Jesus can make your life much more difficult. Last night, Heather and I were watching a, a movie about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great G German theologian who basically became a martyr of sorts for his faith and his refusal to put his faith in the Nazi party, instead putting his faith in Jesus Christ. At this moment, family, our brothers and sisters all around the world are suffering in ways we can't even imagine, simply because they love Jesus. They refuse to follow the things of this world, and they've said, Jesus 
Jesus, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Master. And while we pray for them to endure their suffering, they pray for us that we would not be weak and lazy and comfortable, but that our faith would come alive. That it would be real, that it would be genuine. That it would be so vibrant that people would ask the reason for the hope that we have. Has anyone asked you the reason for the hope that you have? Maybe you don't have hope. Or maybe you're hiding it. Continues, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When is the last time that you thank God for trials? When is the last time that you thank God for, for problems in your life? I can't say it's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction for me. Usually I encounter a problem and my first word is why. My second two words are fix it. Make it go away. None of us enjoy suffering, but suffering shapes us. It develops our character. It makes us stronger. You know, Heather's dealing with a, a broken foot right now. And they say that often when bones are broken, they come back and they heal, and they're stronger than they were originally. I don't know if that's true, but I've heard it. it. Sounds good. I think that's true, right? You'll take it, yeah. See, I know right now that, that Heather's in a lot of pain, and the crutches are very, very uncomfortable in uh, pushing the wheelchair, we were in the, in the store the other day, and she's trying to get down the aisles. But, but something's happening to my wife as she is not able to walk. There are other parts of her body that are getting stronger and stronger. I would not challenge her to arm wrestling right now, just with all the, 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 the strength that she's building. See, in the midst of our weaknesses, God can become strong in us. When we are weak, he becomes strong. In the midst of problems and suffering, we realize that we are not in control, but God is. We're so used to comfort in this nation, in our culture, that we often fail to realize we are not sovereign and in control. And that, like the daily bread passage, we need God. And there's nothing he enjoys more than when his children cry out to him and recognize, wow, they're dependent. They want a relationship. Some of you are struggling right now, and I want to just encourage you and tell you two things. The first thing I want you to know, if you're struggling right now, and I'd ask for a show of hands, but I think most of you would raise your hand because if you're not struggling, you're going to be, or you recently were, or you know someone who is. So let's just say all of us. First of all, you are seen. God sees you. He has not forgotten you. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God has not forgotten you. He sees you, and he loves you. And it may not feel like he loves you in this moment, in this middle of the suffering, in the middle of the storm, but he sees you and he loves you and he knows you. If you've shared your struggle with others, they see you too. 
I got a note this morning from Patty Horner who said, just please continue to pray for me. Some of you know Patty. She's been in the hospital and uh, with lung issues, and they took out part of her lung, and, and um, then her lung collapsed, and it's just been one thing after another. But she has seen, God has seen her. Many of you have seen her, and, and she's, she loves visitors, so Toledo Hospital. If you're struggling, you are seen. You are loved. You're accepted. You matter. You belong here. You are family. No matter what you've done, no matter the past, the present says you are a child of God and you are loved if you've surrendered your life to Christ. And secondly, your story is not over. If you're a follower of Jesus, the best is yet to come. And I don't necessarily mean when you die. God's doing a new thing. He's doing a work. And there is hope. There's a living hope for each of you. Your story is not over. No matter what chapter you're on, there's more to come. Here's a glimpse of what's ahead, though. At the time after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Anyone looking forward to that day? That's hope. That's what we have to look forward to very soon, family. Be encouraged. This prayer in Romans perfectly describes how I feel about you. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now it's time to look at our text for today. Would you uh, please turn in your Bibles, if you have an electronic Bible or paper Bible? Uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at the end of verse 13. So Matthew chapter 6, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is uh, obviously the most famous prayer in human history. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And we're going to look at the, um, the end of verse 13. It says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you see that in your Bible? How many of you don't see that in your Bible? Okay. Some of you don't see that in your Bible. It's like, wait, what, what, what's, what's going on here? This is called the doxology, and it's missing in many Bible translations, though there's probably a footnote somewhere about it. Dr. Scott McKnight explains it this way. Readers of most editions of the Bible will find a note that the best and earliest manuscripts do not have the commonly recited doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Neither does Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. Those words appear to have been formed on the basis of 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 13 by someone later than Jesus and the writing of the Gospel of Matthew. The doxology was added to the Lord's Prayer in public prayer and then was gradually added to the text of the New Testament itself. We recite them today because the public recitation of the Lord's Prayer seems incomplete without such an ending. 
So this doesn't mean that the Bible is inaccurate. It doesn't mean that your Bible's right or wrong. It's just a fitting conclusion to the prayer, reminding us that God is worthy of our praise. He is all-powerful. There is evidence of his kingdom breaking forth here on earth, and there is more to come. See, family, as we pray, we can praise and prepare for eternity. The next life will be filled with music and praise and adoration. I don't expect to play a harp on a cloud, but we will certainly worship Almighty God. When we sing, we prepare. When we look back at Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his miraculous resurrection, we are reminded of who he is and why he is worthy. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.